Thank you for listening to this week's message from Go Church. We hope it encourages you today. For more information about Go Church, check us out online at letsgo.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. I am so proud of you guys. You have made a decision to come to Go Church on a Sunday morning. It could be anywhere. You have decided to be here. I am so, so proud of you. Why don't you turn to somebody and start giving a round of applause to each other. What a great decision. Starting off your week in an amazing way, prioritizing God, the people of God. We're going to grow today, have a great time today. If it's your first time, my name is Pastor Nick. So great to see you. Everyone who's streaming, so great to see you. I've got a question for you this morning. How many of you have ever heard this scripture? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. If you've ever heard that, can I see an all things hand in the air? Yes, lots of people heard of this scripture, this verse, probably no surprise. This is a very popular like scripture on a mug, scripture on a t-shirt. This scripture has been put on all manner of things. In fact, you just go to the old interweb, punch it in. Here's some of the things that you get right off the top. I mean, you can get, I can do all things through Christ. You can get the bling, the necklace. I like this one right over here in the shape of like the tire that you would flip over, like CrossFit class, I can do all things, I can do all things. You can get the wrist bracelet, you can get the t-shirt. One of my other favorites is you can get the wrestling headgear here. It's like you pinned, pinned him in the strength of Jesus Christ. But then I begin to think, well, what happens if it's like two people with the same headgear? Wait a minute, is this like one is new international version, one is like new living translation? They're going head to head, who will win? I can do all things through Christ. You can get weight belts. You can get all kinds of materials, products, swag, Philippians 4.13 written right on it. In fact, an athlete that I'm sure you know, Steph Curry. Steph Curry loves to write Philippians 4.13 on his shoes. And so you'll see this, all different kinds of shoes. It's on there. In fact, some of the newer shoes that has it built in, you'll see 4.13 maybe around the laces or on the back. And so he's, you know, big proponent. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? He can do all things except beat the Nuggets last Friday night, baby. (laughs) True story. (laughs) And something else he can't do. I'm sorry, but Steph Curry cannot dunk. He just can't. I mean, he's tried before and it just, I can do all things. Maybe he means, you know, I can be content even when I slip and fall in Christ during basketball. Maybe he has it in the right context. I can do all things through Christ. So we've all heard about this. We've seen it on all the stuff. It's been written on the shoes. It's a very popular verse. So here's the deal. Over the series, can I really trust the Bible? We've talked about the Bible. We've talked about where it's come from. We've talked about some of the crazy probabilities of Jesus fulfilling prophecy in the Old Testament. We looked at this weird example where we computed the probability of Jesus just fulfilling eight of the nearly 300 Old Testament prophecies that he would have to fulfill. Everything has to be fulfilled. And it was like 10 to the 17th power of this probability, the chances of Jesus fulfilling all these prophecies. We've looked at the verbal inspiration of scripture. We've looked at 
general revelation, special revelation. How does God reveal himself to us? We've looked at some interesting facts and some interesting theories. Today, I want us to focus on making this happen. Okay, so I want us to actually take the Bible. I want us to take Philippians 4.13. I want us to figure out how can we read this correctly, interpret this correctly, apply this correctly. This is going to be a great example for us. This is a scripture that is typically used in all manner of ways. Is that okay to do with scripture? Can you just take one and just slap it on all the stuff that you want and just feel good about yourself and what it says? So we're going to get into this. Grab your communication card. Right on the back, I want you to write down our one big thing. Ironically, I can do all things. I can do all things. Write this down. I can do all things. We want to learn how to use the Bible the way it was intended to be used. Now, growing up in my parents' house, my dad had every tool, it seemed, conceivable to mankind. I mean tools for metalworking, woodworking, chemistry things, so many. I mean, he built other buildings to house all the tools. And so my, to my dad, it's like every tool has a job. Every job has a specific tool. And you got to have the right tool for the right? You got to have the right tool for the right job. And so tool is very important. So if he would ever see me like as a kid using a screwdriver, like the handle of a screwdriver as a hammer or something, no good. If I had the wrong drill bit for that particular screw, even if it was like a Phillips, but maybe it wasn't the right Phillips for the job, got to go and get the right Phillips for the job. We would not use a TV control for a hammer. We wouldn't use a hammer to eat cereal. We wouldn't use a saw to do teeth whitening. It's not the kind of whitening you want. It's the right tool for the right job. They're just basic things that we would never take this and do this with it. And it makes sense. Well, the Bible, in a sense, is the same way. It's meant to be read and meant to be interpreted a very specific way. The Bible can't mean now what it never meant then. Are you tracking with me? Now, we might apply the biblical truth a little differently in our current cultural situation, but it means what it means. So we've got to make sure that we look at the Bible, this resource, this amazing tool, this living, breathing resource tool that God has given us called the Bible, and we want to interpret it and read it correctly. So we are going to do this with Philippians 4, 13. Okay, we're going to read this in the New King James Version. It says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I'm going to read this one more time, and when we get to the two words, through Christ, I want you to say those two words together as a team, okay? Here we go. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's do it one more time. I can do all things who strengthens me. Very good. All right, three principles to understand the Bible. These are not every principle that you'll ever need to understand the Bible, just three basic ones. Write the very first one down. I will see the big picture. Write this down. Write in your communication card. Three principles to understand the Bible. I will see the big picture. Number two, I will use scripture to interpret scripture. And number three, I will live what I learn. 
These are three basic things to take with you whenever you are reading the Bible, trying to understand what the Bible says, what it means. Three basic things. I will see the big picture. I will use scripture to interpret scripture. I will live what I learn. So let's get into this. I will see the big picture. Everyone say big picture. Okay, so big picture. The Bible. Big picture. You could even start with general revelation. Go all the way back to the very first message we did in this series. This is how God reveals himself to us through nature, through human conscience. You can start super big picture. Start zooming in, okay? I want to encourage all of you that are here in the house watching online today to buy a Bible. The Bible actually exists. It's something you can touch. It's not just something on your phone. Although I have more versions of the Bible on my phone than I have in my hand, okay? I love having the Bible on my phone. It's super accessible, but there's something I enjoy about seeing it on paper, being able to touch it, feel it. I don't get distracted as much if I will just take this to a devotional time. If I take this, I've got to turn off like every notification. I'm tempted to start checking email. I'm just tempted to just get off the path and get distracted. Sometimes it's easy for me to get distracted. So I'll leave this and I'll bring my old school Bible. Now this particular Bible, let's see. I got this Bible in November 2009. So a little age, not, not too much, but it has been used enough where it's starting to show us age. Anybody here relate? I've got a little, little crow's feet of Bible <laughs> right here. Now, I love this Bible. This one is a study Bible, and I want to encourage you to buy a good study Bible. Now, a classic choice would be the Life Application Bible. It's been around for quite some time, and it's pretty practical. I would recommend either New International Version or New Living Translation, both pretty easy to understand and easy to read. So remember, we're going to start big picture. So if we're going to read or use Philippians 4.13, that is the book of Philippians, right? So Philippians is in the New Testament. Now, if you were to open up my Bible, I'm going to do it right now, and this is a picture behind me of my Bible, the beginning of mine and in the beginning of every study Bible will be a good introduction to the book, okay? This is very, very good to read, especially if you've never read this book before. So in this particular intro, you can see some stuff like basic outline, information about the author, which is Paul, information about when it was written. This is one of the last books that the Apostle Paul wrote, so he is older. He's writing this from prison, very important to know. Paul is not writing from the Bahamas. He's not writing from a pocket park an hour away from the mountains. He is writing from prison. He's been imprisoned and experienced persecution because of his faith. And so this is the context of this book. I mean, imagine him writing from a confined space that is dirty and depressing and, and hard to be happy in, probably hard to find joy in. And the theme of this whole entire book is the joy, experiencing the joy that we have in Christ. Now, just knowing that, wow, this was written from prison, but about joy, that's an amazing fact to me. You see things like background, purpose of the book, survey of the book, some special features about the book. You want to start big picture and understand how does this book fit? 
what are the big picture parameters of this letter that was written? So written by Paul, written to some of his best friends, believers in Philippi. So this book is written to Christians. It's meant to be read aloud in a corporate setting. Nowhere in this book do you see Paul talking about trying to crush your workout or crush your gym goals. There's nothing in there about wrestling somebody, about trying to flip the tire over in CrossFit. There's not a lot in here specifically applying to all of the products that we've just seen, trying to get a good biblical perspective of what's happening big picture. All right, so this is principle number one. I will see the big picture. Everybody say big picture. So the theme of this book, joy in living for Christ, this is about thanking and counseling his friends, believers in Philippi, writing to Christians. He's thanking them for sending a financial gift that was helping the ministry. So a lot of gratitude in this book of Philippians. All right, we're going to move on to principle number two. I will use scripture to interpret scripture. Another way to say this is context is king. Context is king. So how does context work? When you're reading a verse like Philippians 4.13, you want to make sure and read the verses that are in front of it. You want to make sure and read the verses that come after it. You never want to have a principle of life where maybe you just go to the computer or go to your phone and you just type in a word and that word is searched all through the Bible and whatever pops up, you just take that little scripture and then bam, I'm good for whatever, whenever, all times. That's really not the way it works. You want to understand how it fits into the context of what's written. So context is king. You want to read before, you want to read after. So how does Philippians 4.13 fit into that chapter? How does it fit into the book of Philippians? How does it fit into other things that Paul has written. Paul wrote about half of the New Testament books. How does this verse fit into the New Testament as a whole? How does it fit into the entire Bible? How does it even fit to how I understand God about general revelation and the other truth that I know from Scripture in context? We're going to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Helps us make sure we understand it the way that it was intended. So let's do this right now. So let's take Philippians 4, 13. Today's just super practical. But I like this. It's super practical. I want you guys to understand how to use the Bible. This is Philippians chapter 4, but we're going to start in verse 12. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. I like that word, the secret. Seven secrets to finding contentment. It's like a great thing for a blog, right? It's like clickbait. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. You want to know the secret? You want to know how to do it? Big reveal, verse 13. I can do all of this, so this representing everything preceding this word. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So do we see what Paul is saying? He's saying, 
And Paul would know because Paul had times in his life where he had an abundance and very little. Paul knew what it was like to have more than enough and less than enough. He went through some very hard times. He went through some very good times. Paul is saying, I have learned the secret, man. If you want to know how to be content in any and every situation, I know the secret. Whether you have a lot or you have a little. Whether your home is super big or super small. Whether your home has all the upgrades, like your upgrades have upgrades. Or you have no upgrades. And you were like, just show me the things I've already paid for. I'll pick this and this. Meeting done. Whether your car is super fancy, not fancy. Whether you are super financially well off or it's tight. Whether your relationships are doing great or doing poorly. Whether you are exactly where you want to be in your profession or you're not quite there yet. No matter if you and your spouse are just in an amazing zone in your relationship. It's just win-win, supporting each other. It's an amazing zone or it's a zone of tension. Whether your kids are doing great or your kids are struggling. Paul is saying no matter what it is, I have learned the secret to be content. I can be content because Jesus gives me the strength to be content. My circumstances don't generate my contentment. My contentment is found in Christ. So whether you are rich, poor, healthy, not healthy, excess, not enough, until Jesus truly is all you need, he will never be all you want. This scripture is about living in contentment and in peace. It's not about saying, well, I can take a verse and I can just take this and slap it on whatever I want. I will be the best cheater because I can do all things in Christ. I will be the best gossiper the world has ever seen because I can do all things through Christ. I can flip this tire. I can lift this weight. Now, look, I'm not trying to be extreme. Steph Curry, I think his heart is in the right place. I think he loves the Lord. People who are using Philippians 4.13 for all manner of things, I'm not saying they're evil. There's no big conspiracy. I'm not all fired up about that. But what I'm saying is when we're using the Bible in our everyday practical life, we have to use it in the way that it was intended. So this verse isn't about saying, I can feel great about myself because I'm successful in all things because Christ gives me the strength to be successful. That's not what the scripture is saying. The scripture is saying, Jesus will give me the strength to be content whether I have a lot or not very much. My contentment is in him. So also notice it's not something that's self-generated. I can do all of this because Jesus gives me strength. This is something that Jesus gives you. This is something that's not self-generated, where I'm going to just power through, and I'm going to make my relationships better just through effort. I'm going to make this better just through being more focused. This is something that is outside of me that God wants to give me that I must be willing to receive to live a life of peace and contentment. It's not something that I can create. You've heard that phrase, you can't buy happiness. 
I wonder sometimes how people feel. Like, I've heard stories. I don't think I've ever, I've never been in a position where I've had Bezos money. Like, I've never been on that list, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Musk money, I haven't. But from friends that I've had that have been quite wealthy, the situations that I've been around as a pastor, I can honestly say with character that you cannot find contentment by looking at your accounts. You just can't do it. There are some people that would write a check for an enormous sum of money if they could find peace. Like, what's the number? I mean, if you could just buy contentment and buy peace, there are people that would write a huge check. They might be able to write a huge one for a healthy marriage. They would write that check. For kids that loved them, they would write that check. Money is helpful, but money doesn't buy it. It comes through Christ, which is something that has to be received. I can't earn it. And that's hard sometimes, I think, for our community to remember that we can't outwork God's grace. You can't out-educate your need for faith, and you can't do enough good works to deserve it. We can't make it happen. God already made it happen. The question is, will we be humble enough to seek, to receive, to live in peace, to live in contentment that only Jesus can provide? Three amazing principles. Brings us to the last one. I will live what I learn. I will live what I learn. So, Let's just run this as a scenario. If you hang out with me very long, you know I love scenarios. I like create scenarios. <laughs> let's create a scenario and we'll figure stuff out. I like to create a scenario. So let's create one. Let's say that you get up one morning this week and you get your Bible and you're reading Philippians and you've read through the introduction and you've read through a couple of chapters. Now you're in a chapter four and you're reading through and you've already prayed because we've talked about this in our series. One of the best things you can ever do before you read the Bible is to pray and say, Holy Spirit, open up my heart. Open up my mind. Bring to light God's word. Help me to see it as being alive and real, applicable. Help me to see what you want me to see. And so you have this attitude going into the reading of the scripture, and you get to Philippians 4.13. And let's say you read that, and the Holy Spirit just does a little, just a little wah <laughs> on your heart. I don't know if you've ever felt that in your life. It's just like hard to describe, a little wah, just right there. It's like you're going along, and then you just feel like, wait a minute, pause. And you think about something, a thought comes into your mind, something is impressed upon your heart. Let's say you read this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You read verse 12. You start thinking about being content. And maybe you start realizing, that is something I don't have a lot of in my life. Imagine the Holy Spirit just pressing in on your heart and saying, you're missing out on a lot of freedom, and you know you're not content. Why is that? And you start to think about it. Maybe the Holy Spirit impresses upon you a very practical thing. Could it be 
that you're not content because you compare your life to everyone else's and it makes you feel bad. And you start thinking about that. You're like, hmm. You start thinking about it. You start praying about it. What does comparison generate? You know, you comparing your life to somebody else that can either generate a feeling of superiority, which is not healthy, or it can generate a feeling of jealousy, which is not healthy. So let's say you start doing some other research in the Bible about jealousy. And you start digging in, and you come to a scripture like James. Because we're using scripture to interpret scripture. And you come across James chapter 3, and you read it. Let's read it together. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life. Doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. I think that's interesting. Humility is not weakness. I think Jesus was humble, but he was not weak. Verse 14, but if you are bitterly jealous, now imagine if you're doing this on your own and you have your Bible, like, oh, jealous, there's that word I searched for, I'm going to underline that. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and then look at this dramatic word, and demonic. I mean, that's powerful language about jealousy, selfish ambition. Verse 16, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. And then what if you start thinking about your marriage? You start thinking about your family dynamic. You start thinking about the dynamics of work. Do you see tension? Do you see disorder? Do you see dishonesty? Do you see withholding the precious things like trust, conversation, the nonverbal things that make beautiful family life, the touches, the hugs, the kisses, the proximity? Do you start to see more disorder? Maybe the Holy Spirit starts to lead you down this path and you start to realize, I see more disorder than I'm comfortable with. I see more of this in my life than I want. What do I do? What am I supposed to do? God, what do I do next? These are the kind of things that can happen if you will look to the Bible as the Word of God, if you ask the Holy Spirit to bring to light and to life the things that you're reading and help you learn how to apply it in your life, right? So we're going to live what we learn. So let's just go all the way with this, and that's our one big action for today. Jesus will give me the strength to kill comparison. Jesus will give me the strength to do it. I don't know if I can do it on my own. I want to compare my church to that church. That temptation is real. I want to compare my speaking to somebody else's speaking. It either makes me feel good, or at least I'm better than that person. <laughs> or bad. I will never be as good as that person. I feel insecure. I feel small. But it's never good. When you start comparing things in your life, it leads to a very dangerous road. One of the easiest ways to start comparing is jumping on social media. That's why it's good to take a break every once in a while. 
I don't know about you, but when I jump on, I start scrolling through the feed, I start seeing things like, they're on another vacation? They just came back from a vacation. How many vacations do they get? And you start thinking about how many vacations I get versus how many they get. It doesn't make me feel good. You're like, I think this person owns 375 pairs of shoes. <laughs> you start thinking about your shoes. When's the last time I bought shoes? I might need to go out and buy shoes today. Then you go out and you buy shoes and you don't tell your husband and you lie about it. <laughs> Guys, I'm coming for you too. You know that works only our stuff's way more expensive. You start comparing things like job, money, vacations, attire, shoes, and then you're comparing things like kids. They won this and they won that. And then you start comparing your family. Then you start comparing the way you look to the way other people look. Then you start comparing things like your spouse to other people. Does any of this lead down a road to where it brings you closer and closer to contentment and peace? I don't think so. It leads you closer and closer to the fulfillment of James chapter 3. You start seeing discord and evil of every kind. Until Jesus is all I need, he will never be all that I want. Maybe throw this on social media or write this down today. It's not on your communication card, but I have it here. Comparison kills contentment while gratitude grows it. Comparison kills contentment while gratitude grows it. The brutal thing about social media is what we do is we compare our behind the scenes to everybody else's highlight reel. And it's hard to stop because we're just human. I want to encourage you today that no matter what station you are in life, I want you to think about where you are right now. You can be content in Jesus, in Christ. He will give you the strength to be content right now, right where you are. Now, does that mean I stop trying? Does that mean all of a sudden I've got an excuse to be lazy? I don't think so. My mentality is I'm content, but I'm not satisfied. I'm content with where we are as a body. But we're not going to stop pushing. We're not going to stop reaching. There are thousands of families all throughout our community that need the truth of the gospel so desperately. Contentment doesn't mean lazy. I'm content, but I'm not satisfied. Paul continued to minister. Paul continued to reach out, but he was content. I'm content. Content doesn't mean lazy. You can be content wherever you're at. You can find peace wherever you're at. If you will look to Jesus to be your contentment, he'll help you. He will give you the strength that you need. It doesn't matter if you have a lot or a little. It doesn't matter if your bank account is big or if it is small. What matters is how big Jesus is in your life. If he truly is the source, if he truly is the foundation, if he truly is everything that matters, all of a sudden all this other stuff gets put into perspective. And you start becoming more grateful for the things that he has blessed you with.
Like I might not have 375 pairs of shoes, but I got these cute ones today. <laughs> I was actually looking through my closet this morning and I was like, I was looking for a very specific white pair of shoes I wanted to wear and I think one of my sons stole them. So I went down into their room, looked, opened the door and I'm like, well, that ain't happening. I ain't finding them in there. Well, I went back and I went through and through and I'm like, well, I haven't seen these in a while. Where are these dogs? Why not? You start becoming grateful for the things that you have. When you start seeing things as blessings, as something that has been given to you, entrusted to you, it changes the game. You didn't just earn it. You didn't just make it happen. You didn't just buy it. God enabled you, empowered you to receive and to actualize and to experience these great things in your life. Comparison kills joy. It's like acid on it. Becky and I, we had dinner with the staff at our house last Tuesday night this week. And we had some great new families come. And our home here in this area, in Central Park, is we don't have the biggest home. There's some big ones here. Ours is like moderate. It's not a wee cottage that are going in and be their park, but it's not the big monster infinity home either. It's a little ranch house built by Wonderland Homes. It's been great for our family. So we got two bedrooms on top. So it works great for our daughter, Sydney. She doesn't have to go up and downstairs. Works great for this old guy. I don't have to go up and downstairs. <laughs> we can live life on the first floor and then create a dungeon of a basement for our twin boys. I think you just go down there. We can lock the door. It's all good. This works great. But there are much bigger homes. There are much fancier homes. And there are different homes. But we're very thankful for our home. And in our home, we have a great view. We're a little closer to 56th Street than I would like to be from a noise perspective. But, you know, we have some great views. And this is a view actually out of our back door. We have a back door with a big window on the door. And we get some great sunsets. You know, we go out there and just to be able to host people, you know, watch fireworks at Dick's, some great, I mean, we just love going out and beautiful, beautiful sunsets. But maybe you're like me and you notice small things. So whenever we have people over, like dinner with the staff, I start to notice all the fingerprints on everything, right? So this is the same window. I mean, there's dog snot, <laughs> there's slobber, there are greasy little fingerprints from twin boys. There are fingerprints from when Becky and I are sitting out here, you know, in the back enjoying it, where Sydney will come up and she'll just like press her face against the window on her fingers. And then also with her is our little dog, Wicket. He's a Shih Tzu. I did not cuss. He's a Shih Tzu dog. And he comes up and he's got the whole bottom part all, all greasy and dogged up. I'm thankful for our house. You know, I'm thankful for the memories. I'll clean the window, life happens. I'll clean the window for dinner with the staff, life happens. Clean it, fingerprints. Clean it, fingerprints. Clean it, fingerprints. But as I was thinking about this message, gratitude makes what you have enough. I don't know when the day will come, but it will come. Where my boys will be old enough They'll be grown and they'll be gone. And Sydney will be grown. There will come a day when that door will be perfectly clean. And the thing I'm going to miss are those fingerprints. 
my boys will never be 16 ever again. They're 16 now. I need to be grateful for the experiences, the conversations, the times, good and bad, that happen at 16. Because they're not happening at 26. They're not happening when they're 36. There might come a day where there are no more fingerprints on that door. And it makes me grateful for the things that I have in my life right now that are a little messy. Sure, your marriage might be a little messy, but you might need to generate some new thankfulness and gratitude for that messy marriage today because it's yours and God has great plans for that marriage. For your kids, that might seem a little messy right now. That job, that might seem a little messy right now. That neighbor relationship, that family member, that that point of tension in your life that might seem a little messy right now. Hear this, all of my fellow perfectionists in the room. Contentment isn't everything working right. That is not where you find some fictitious level of contentment. If you're waiting for that, it will never happen. Because life isn't perfect, and neither are you we serve the one who is and that is where freedom is when you know it's not my job to make everything perfect it's my job to love the one who is it's my job to be submitted to the one who is and so when life gets messy and this door gets fingerprints all over it I can see the bigger picture and say God thank you thank you that I even have a house to get messy Thank you, God, for a door to have where little fingerprints can get smudged on there. Thank you, God, to have people in my life that are messy but beautiful. I'm going to say it again. Until Jesus is all you need, he will never be all that you want. Ask God today to give you the strength. Ask Jesus to give you the strength to enact Philippians 4.13 in your life. I read, I wrote this and I want to write it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's about living a life of contentment and joy when things are beautiful and when they are hard. Knowing that no matter what life throws at me, Jesus will give me the strength I need to be at peace. Peace is something given and received, not earned or manufactured. Let's pray. God, help us. Help me. Help my perfectionist nature to chill. And to not find contentment when everything finally just works right. But God, to find contentment in you to find peace in you, to find joy in you, to find contentment, not in my circumstances, but in you. You never change, you never leave, you never get too busy. You never forget about me, you forget about my family, you forget about Go Church. It's not about being perfect, it's about serving you, the perfect one. God, help us to breathe a breath of peace and contentment today. I can do all things. I can do all things. I can do all of this through you, Jesus, 
who gives me strength. I can be content. I will not fall prey to jealousy. I will not fall prey to small-mindedness. And I will not fall prey to comparing myself to other people. Hear me today. Go, church, there's somebody in this place. You need to hear me. You keep comparing yourself to other people. And when you do, you feel smaller. God sees you today as a child. He would remind you that he created you. He authored you in your mother's womb. You were beautifully and wonderfully made. And when you try to leave your true self to try to emulate someone else, you are leaving the very thing that Jesus Christ lived and died and was resurrected to have living and breathing in this moment. See your worth and embrace and be the person that God has created you to be. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. Don't be content even in that. Be content in Jesus Christ. Be content knowing that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And it is beautiful and it is good. Oh, my friends, the whole key to contentment is having a real active relationship with Jesus Christ. How can you do it? The Bible says this about the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He was here 2,000 years ago. He lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. He lived the perfect life and he laid down that perfect life on the brutal cross of Calvary. And his body was torn for our sins. It was brutalized for our sins. It was ripped apart for our sins. His beard was ripped out for our sins. The crown of thorns driven in for our sins. He gave it all. He was separated from his father. In the middle of all of it, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they peeled his dead body off of that tree and they put him into a tomb for three days. But on the third day, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, resurrected Jesus Christ and he is alive today. And he wants you to have life. And says that if you will believe in your heart, Jesus Christ is Lord. If you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want to give you an opportunity today to pray that prayer, to make Jesus Christ the Lord and the leader of your life. If you're ready to walk into contentment and peace and relationship with God, I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud right now. Pray this, Jesus, thank you for speaking to my heart. I ask that you would forgive me of every sin. I'm making you the Lord and the leader of my life. And I will live for you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. To stay in the know with Go Church, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at letsgo.church. You can also download our app from the App Store by searching Go Church. Have a great week and God bless.